0: Good morning, everyone. So today I'm going to talk about the 10th commandment to not covet. So first, so that we're all on the same page, Harry, let's read it together. Exodus 20, 17, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. So first off, two things. One, if you're not familiar with the term... Coveting means to desire wrongfully, inordinately, or without due regard for the rights of others. That definition is taken straight from dictionary.com. Basically, it just means to desire too much or um, your desire is out of whack. And secondly, a disclaimer. So this commandment lumps coveting your neighbor's wife in with coveting your neighbor's servants in with coveting their ox and donkey. Um, So for convenience sake today, I'm just going to kind of shorten the commandment and refer to it as don't covet your neighbor's things, but I'm in no way trying to imply that your neighbor's wife or servants are in any way things. Okay, onto the meat of things. Now, if I'm honest, guys, I am not great with rules. I get their beauty and their benefit to society, but um, if I'm honest, I don't really appreciate the beautiful thing that is rules that I feel like some people do. There's some rebellious nature inside me such that when I'm given rules, it instinctively wants to reject them. But I found that I am happy to follow the intent or purpose of rules if their aim is a necessary or positive one. And that can get slippery, so I'm not going to delve into that too much today. But maybe some of you can relate. Relate to being that kid or person that needs to say, but why? Um, That needs to have a goal rather than just guardrails. Um, So maybe another way to illustrate this is bowling. Um, When you're a kid, you get the guardrails, right? And you can just smash the ball in a general forward direction and it'll bounce off of everything, but you know that as long as you threw it forward-ish in between the guardrails at the beginning, it will reach the end somehow. But to me though, the end is the important part. Those 10 pins at the end. If there were just two guardrails and they didn't lead to anything, if it wasn't guiding the ball towards an end, the guardrails would be pretty pointless. Like, why are we even trying to stay between them if there's no end, there's just guardrails? If we're trying to reach a bunch of pins at the end, though, and the guardrails keep the ball from falling into the gutter and never reaching that end, staying between those guardrails makes a whole lot of sense, and of course I'm going to try and do that. So I'd like us today to take a stab at approaching the commandment to not covet our neighbor's things with a goal-driven mindset. Otherwise, this commandment can seem rather daunting, rather impossible to actually keep. In the same big list of 10 instructions, God already commanded that we shall not murder and shall not steal. And okay, those are tangible actions. Um, I can grasp pretty easily not doing those but coveting, that's a failing of the heart. And I was once even taught growing up that the purpose of this last commandment was to not covet our neighbor's things, to show us that we were all sinners, because who could keep from coveting? Now, I think that's a pretty sad way to look at one of the 10 commandments that God thought were important enough to write down in his own hand on a tablet and give to the Jewish people. But I do commiserate with looking at that commandment and wanting to sink my head into my hands. How are we supposed to not want things? It's just an internal thing that happens. And so long as I don't steal things, so long as I don't murder someone so that I can have their things, who's this hurting anyway? Maybe I just ignore this one or say, this is just here so that I know I'm a sinner. And okay, God, I got the message. I get that I'm not perfect. I'll just focus on those other nine commandments now. Um, But before you get too despondent or depressed, though, unsurprisingly, I think there's another way that we can look at this. The list of the top 10 commandments were created to help shape a society that emulates the heart of God, that reflects a community built around our God of love, of justice, and what I'll focus on today, built around a heart of peace. So I think the 10th commandment is this. Don't covet your neighbor's things so that you can be a part of a peaceful community. That's the goal. That is the 10 pins at the end of the bowling alley. Creating and living as a part of a community of peace. Do not covet your neighbor's things is a commandment that's meant to guide us towards living in a community with our neighbors who often will have things that we don't have or have things that we want. This commandment is meant to let us celebrate and enjoy our neighbors and our relationships with them, rather than letting appreciation of others' belongings sour and turn to coveting what they have for ourselves. Um, So these Ten Commandments were written to a newly formed Jewish nation, um, to poor homeless group of people newly learning how to live in community with one another um, outside of their previous life of slavery. So to a people who were meant to show the world who God was and what God looked like through their society. So I'd like to take a look at another book with a similar audience in the New Testament. The book of James was written to the newly formed Christian community made up of Jews who had been forced from homes by persecution and were only just learning what it meant to be a part of this new Christian society. So the passage for today is James 13, 17 through James 4, 3. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Um, But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So today there are four main points that I'd like to pull out from this and examine from this passage. First, James here identifies that God's intent for this new Christian community, and ultimately for our Christian community today, is to be one at peace. Second, he sees that they've diverged from this goal of peaceful community due to internal factors. And third, he explains that jealous and coveting within the community turned into fighting and to war. And lastly, he calls out that when motives and desires are not centered around God, desires are corrupted and they turn to coveting, which leads to the fighting and destruction of community. Okay, so the first point. God's intent for community is for it to be one of peace. I mentioned earlier that I personally need goals. I need to understand the intent of a rule in order to really get behind it and point my heart in that direction. Um, so the intent here is for our Christian community to be a community of peace. James three seventeen through 18. Um, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. A community with people living under this wisdom sounds awesome, doesn't it? As Liz Lemon from 30 Rock would say, I want to go to there I want to enjoy peace and sincerity and gentleness and all of that other great stuff with my neighbors. Um, okay, and I'll confess uh, what I've been told is a bit of an odd dream of mine. I love the idea of communes. Um, and <laughs> ever since I left home, I've had this dream of like ultimately creating and living in an urban commune. Um, but this is just an abstract dream, and if you actually ask me to get into detail about it, I quickly fall into ridiculous and unrealistic descriptions um, of what it would actually practically entail. But um, the core of it is is honest. It's my heart craves to be surrounded by a healthy, loving, and peaceful community. Um, and yeah, okay, it's a far-fetched idea. And even that wee little bit of me that kind of was still holding on to doing something like that eventually, uh, has been dashed by falling in love with my fiance, who has very real personal space needs for her introverted soul. Um, But regardless of reality, I still wind up talking about this fantasy with friends. Um, And while I goof about the details of how an urban commune would work, um, I've been blessed to experience fantastic community in the University City West Philly house I live in now. Um, it's a four-story beast of a house with around 10 people living there. Um, we all just live in rooms and share the house as common space. Um, and when we all first moved in together, we really did form a community, um, taking turns making dinner for Taco Tuesday, watching and yelling at the show Jane the Virgin, and then following that up with overindulging in way too many brownies. Um, or just passing each other on the stairs and then ending up in conversation, sitting down on the stairs talking for the next hour or more. That community part that I desire, that's from a real place. And so often is not what starts as an abstract or silly conversation about communes usually winds up um, with some serious discussion about how we do still want that kind of community, how we all want that relationship with our neighbors how we want to know intimately and celebrate with and be a part of a loving, selfless community. This is the community that God was trying to steer the Jewish people to be. And this is the community that I actively want to be a part of. That's a goal I can wholeheartedly strive to reach, and I'm happy to have guardrails in my life if they help me reach that end. So the second point of the passage here is that James' audience was missing this mark of that peaceful community due to internal rather than external conflict. So unfortunately, as I'm guessing many of you have seen and experienced, a peaceful community isn't the kind of community that develops without thought or without effort. What we see around us is largely fighting, disunity, and even war. And James 4 reads, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from evil desires at war within you? James is looking at these new Christians, at this immature and young community of believers in Christ, and asking why, if they are all intent on living lives as followers of the same Christ, there are fighting and quarrels in this community. Why has this community fallen short of God's ideal for a peaceful society? And the answer wasn't any number of external factors. This things caused by situation or by circumstance. It wasn't that they were quarreling because... They were oppressed, poor, or driven from their homes, which they absolutely were. It wasn't that they were struggling for survival with both Jews and Gentiles against them, which they absolutely were. The reason the young church was fighting was that they weren't at peace as individuals, that what James referred to here as their evil desires, desires in their hearts that had become corrupt, were at war within them. This spilled over externally, leading to fights and wars that james referred to and the passage reads evil desires at least in my translation Um, but it's also been translated as their selfish pleasures or lusts and for me at least those terms are more easy to picture than um, evil desires i picture some kind of cartoonish depiction of a personified jealousy monster or something in my heart twirling a mustache and laughing creepily um, and that just completely distracts me, and now I'm thinking of this weird cartoon, and I'm not really able to connect to the passage anymore, and I have no idea what James is talking about. Um, but lust, I can picture that. Wanting something so much it becomes physical, and your brain seems to have short-circuited desire run into overdrive and reduced to just wanting. Self, uh, selfish pleasure, I can get that. Um, I mean, I can wrap my head around how many times I've wanted something, and even though I knew that it would make my friends or those around me unhappy, I went for it anyway. Okay, I can connect to those ideas. Um, And to paint a picture, and I'm actually going to use someone else as the bad guy here, sorry, Um, but when I was a kid, I lived in a neighborhood that had a bunch of other kids my age. Um, We all just ran around from house to house, again, playing together kind of as a pack, a little kid-sized community, if you will. Um... And I was a kid in the 90s, and so at one point this game called Pogs was all the rage. I don't know if you have experienced that. Um, They were basically fancy milk caps with one side, like a glossy image or design, and little cardboard circles about this big. You and your friends would each have your own collection. You'd pull some of the pieces together, stack them up, and then smash a heavier piece called a slammer onto them, just trying to flip them over. And basically... At the end of the game, whoever had flipped over the most pieces onto the face won the game and won all the pieces. Um, So you didn't actually really need to know the rules of the game to understand the story, but I just wanted you to have a picture in your head. Um, Also, yay 90s trivia. Um, So anyhow, (laughs) we were playing this game at my friend, we'll call him Kyle's house, uh, and one day, and I had with me a bunch of shiny, awesome silver ones that I'd won at some point. And when I got home, after hanging out with my friends, I realized they weren't with me anymore. So I went back over to Kyle's. When he met me at his, on his porch, I confronted him about the missing pogs, and he informed me that they had been on his couch in his house, and so were now his property. Um, I naturally got upset and challenged him because those rules were made up and ridiculous. <laughs> and so he shoved me off his steps. We were, like... We were young kids. I got up and punched him in the face. (laughs) Clearly, my relationship with Kyle was now on the rocks. And it wasn't just Kyle and my relationship that were affected. Our little community temporarily fell to shambles. Um, I wouldn't go play at Kyle's house now, and he had the only pool in the neighborhood. Now, there was also conflict when our other friends were hanging out. They wanted to go swimming, but there was this bad blood between Kyle and I friends, had to pick sides, all because he had been jealous over something that was mine. We eventually got over this. I remember at some point that same summer playing with everyone, swimming at his house, so we must have worked it out somehow. But the point is this. We all have those stories. We've all seen desires getting out of whack and causing all sorts of trouble with our community and friends. So it was the same for James Christian's. Lust and selfish pleasure were enough to drive a community apart, even a community that you would think would be clinging together, clinging to one another with everything they had. These guys had so much in common. They had a common faith, a common background, a common oppressor, a common goal. You would think that a bunch of people following Jesus with so very much in common would be in a fantastic situation to demonstrate God's intent for a healthy, loving community. Yeah. Nevertheless, their community had fallen short and fallen into quarreling and fighting with one another, largely due to that almost innocuous-sounding thing that last commandment warned about, the, warned the Jewish nation about in the very beginning, coveting. So the third point flows from that. Jealousy and coveting turn to fighting and war. James 2. You want what you don't have, so you scheme, and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. It was corrupt desires that brought fighting and war to the young Christian church. Now, I personally know that I have a tendency to oversimplify things just because complexity is hard and nuance is tiring. And our minds just like to draw a box around a thing, label it in permanent marker, and then we always know what to do with something that's from that labeled box. But when I'm mentally or emotionally lazy like that, I don't know about you, but I always miss something. Uh, The box I draw always misses the mark in more than one way. I think that very much applies to interpreting James here and by extension, the 10th commandment, to not covet our neighbor's things. So I don't want anyone to walk away from this today um, thinking that just wanting something or desiring something is bad in and of itself. Wanting more money or a better paying job so that you can better support your family and loved ones, desiring a relationship that resembles the one you see your neighbor has with their partner and even just ambition in general, I don't think we're being advised to avoid wanting things altogether. It's when our desire sours and gets out of hand into jealousy, into coveting, into selfishness, into lust, that we get in trouble. So I mentioned earlier that at one time when hearing the Ten Commandments, I remember wondering to myself what the big deal was that coveting had made it to the top ten list. Um, It's definitely not a pretty thing to have in your heart, but mm, it's really just wanting gone overboard in essence, right? And I just finished saying that wanting in and of itself isn't a bad thing. And we already have in those 10 commandments, don't murder. We have don't steal. So, okay, if I want something more than I should, I'll already remember not to kill someone, so I'll get it. I'll already remember, don't steal that thing. So really we should be all set. And God should have just used that slot for something bigger. Something like, I don't know, don't have fancy sweaters over your shoulders and back if you don't ever intend to wear it like an actual sweater. Or maybe don't wear socks if you're wearing sandals. Or don't leave a voicemail that just says call me when everyone actually has texting now and you didn't need to leave that voice message. How bad is coveting, really? James writes, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Well, snap, <laughs> that escalates quickly, doesn't it? You see what your neighbor has, and you want it. So you plan, you scheme, you spend your time and energy thinking how to get it. You kill, you murder to get it. You're jealous, so you fight, and you don't just fight. James just takes it all the way, so you wage war. That literally is the exact opposite <laughs> of what our goal was. You remember just a wee bit back, we saw the shiny and beautiful goal, a community of peace. That's what we want, at least. That sure is all get out what I want. Jealousy, selfish desires, those destroy our chance to reach that goal. They turn our potentially peaceful community into a flaming trash heap of murder, of stealing, of war, of fighting. Yeah, just don't murder people or steal does not cover all that. I want to be able to experience life and joy and peace with my neighbor. I want to celebrate God's blessings with them, rejoice with um, the great things that happen in their life, be able to commiserate and support them when they experience loss. How can I do that? How can I find joy and peace in that relationship if I'm consumed with scheming to take what's theirs? That beautiful part of living in a community is lost to me. I want to work with my neighbors to build things together, to be a part of a true and supportive community. But how can we support one another in the midst of fighting and war? Jealousy, lust, these things aren't internal shortcomings that just sit dormant in our hearts, corrupting only ourselves. They prevent us from being part of this type of community that God made us for. And I think they prevent us as a church from being the safe and peaceful type of society that I think we honestly desire to be. The final point I'll cover today is that when our motives and desires are not centered around God, it turns to wanting, which is fine, into coveting. So James 2, the end. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So again, I've noticed I have a tendency to think of jealousy as a self-contained emotion, meaning um, that if I'm jealous, I imagine that that jealousy just popped up fully formed already there as jealousy, rather than starting as a progression of seeing something, appreciating it, wanting it, then not having it and not being able to have it, and then finally being jealous of it. So I think the difference between thinking of it as automatically being jealous and becoming jealous through a process makes a huge difference. If I believe that I just am covetous when presented with things that I want, then the warning that coveting will lead to fighting and ruin my hope of peace is not only a bit unhelpful, it can make me feel a little bit hopeless, make me feel like it's a lost cause. Or like I should just go back and draw that box I talked about around wanting and just not want anything at all to avoid it. But if I see it as a process, if I see it as it starts as seeing something, wanting it, if I see it as a process, that gives me a chance to stop it before we get to the end, before I reach jealous and covetousness. So James explains that the people who are coveting who are desiring things they don't have to the point that they're ruining lives to get them, they're starting with bad motives from the beginning, and they aren't going to guide with the desires once they're aware of them. So friends, that gives us two distinct ways, two opportunities for us to avoid having our wants sour and corrupted into jealousy and coveting. First, we can examine our motives and center our hearts and our motives around the teachings and experience of Jesus. If we keep that motive, that goal of a God-centered, peace-loving community at the center of our hearts, then we'll be moving in the right direction. And second, we can remember to bring our wants and desires before God. They can be brought before our friends and those who we trust um, to make sure that our motives haven't strayed and aren't selfish. Those friends can gently correct us if the motive um, we have is unhealthy, and they can help us actually reach what we want if it's something that is actually healthy and in the, in the motive of a peaceful community. We can catch desires that are likely to go bad before they actually turn rotten and cause strife in our lives and community. And we can find support for the desires that will bring life to those um, around us. So what does this mean for our lives? I like to think of the 10 commandments as like a crib sheet for our life or a too long didn't read guide. A list of 10 things easy enough to remember and reference quickly. If do not covet your neighbor's things is one of those top 10, we can keep that at the top of our minds, and so we can catch ourselves if a want or a desire may not be a healthy one or may be getting out of control. We can keep the goal of a Christian community firmly centered. When we question our motives or our wants, rather than asking in general just is this a bad motive, we can ask, is this a motive that's also in keeping with a peaceful and a righteous community with our fellow Christians? The second thing, we can also practice reviewing our wants and our motives behind them with God in prayer, ensuring they aren't souring to jealousy and to coveting. Um, As an example, what that looks like for me is when I realize that I want something, I literally pray to God and say, God, you know my heart you know that I want X, Y, or Z, and I'm not sure if that desire is something that's from you or if that's something that is selfish. Um, Please help me. Show me if this is something that I'm meant to go after. And then I just sit there in silence for a while. Sometimes after praying, I feel a sense of peace, and I feel like, okay, I'm solid with that. Sometimes selfish motives are brought to my attention or I start seeing how this thing or how my um, actions that I want to take to get it are actually unhealthy for me. But sometimes I don't hear anything at all. And so I thank God that there's community that I can go to for further advice. You may relate to God in a different way and so that may look different to you and that's fine. But for me, that's how it looks. Um, So in addition to going to God, I can also remember that I'm a part of a community. I don't have to do this alone. I know that being a part of a small group for me and having a few trusted Christian friends um, has been so helpful for me when I have doubts about whether I want something selfishly or if that desire is a healthy one. Um, I can just say to them, my friends, hey guys, so here's this thing I've been wanting, but I'm not sure if, I want it for the right reasons. Um, Or if my desire has gotten out of hand at this point, um, can I just tell you guys about it and ask for your advice? So before I close today, I'd like us to just take a few minutes to try out praying to God about this together right now. Or if you prefer, you can just take the time to meditate. Um, Take a few moments to reflect and bring to mind something you know you've been wanting, but you're uncertain about the motives. All right, now just ask God God, you know my heart. You know that I want this thing, but I'm not sure if that desire is something selfish or if that desire is getting out of hand. Please help show me if this is something that I'm meant to go after or if this is unhealthy. Father God, I thank you for your guidance. I thank you for your words and commands that help us live lives that are closer to your ideals of peace and love. I pray that you guide our hearts today and bring to light any desires that are getting out of hand and that may cause us or our community grief. Tug our hearts towards your purpose of a loving and peaceful community. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen. Thanks, guys.